guest this week is Doc Waffles. His partner, Eddie, was supposed to be on the podcast as well. Didn't work out this time. Hope to have him back another time. Tour is going well. We have Guelph, Ontario, Kingston, Ontario, Portland, Maine, New Haven, Connecticut, Philadelphia, Annapolis, D.C., and Baltimore coming up. And then that's a wrap. Hope to see you out there. The art as always, is by Mike Riley at MikeRileyComics.com. And once again, we're being hosted by Splice Today. Check them out at SpliceToday.com. Let's, Let's go, go in. in. I grew up in Toledo, Ohio. Uh, my mom was a preschool and kindergarten proprietor there. And so my first home was an apartment above a school, which was my school which was really cool because I would wake up and go downstairs and do all my homework and stuff. And then when, by the time the kids got there, like I was just straight to like play and like, you know, go out on the equipment. We had a lot of bikes and like a, a hole and like a boat that you could play in out in the yard and stuff. And a zillion other kids to hang out with like every day. It was really nice. Yeah. And then when uh, I was like 10 years old, we moved to suburban Michigan where, uh, I lived in suburbia for a while, and, uh, you know, I found my way down here to Detroit. Golf View Drive, is that the spot? Golf View Drive is, uh, yeah, I made a whole project about it yeah. like 10 years ago, which I'm actually thinking about making a sequel to, because now Detroit, uh, the experience of going to high school in the suburbs made me really excited for an urban experience, and Detroit is one of the most like unique, wild ones. But now Detroit's becoming more like golf you drive in a lot of places. So mm. I want to make a sequel to a kind of about like the gentrification of Detroit or whatever, and also about getting older because now like ten years later I'm in my mid thirties and now like I'm getting at that golf you drive age. Yeah, yeah. Most of my writing has always been really obscure and more on the democratic side when it comes to themes and interpretation. And I just had some events in my life happen that made me not want to pursue that for a while. And so I thought I'd try to make something that was really brutally honest and mm. easy to read. Um, kind of unsuccessfully, I feel like, at times. But, uh, but wh I guess what was your original like foray into rap like maybe even like before that album like what was going well, on I mean when you hear language and when you hear music at a certain tempo if you're a, a languagey person I mean it's easy to get seduced by like 85 or 90 BPMs yeah uh, and I always just kind of liked the idea of having uh, like when you listen to rap it's a genre kind of unlike any other it lets you sort of create this interesting biographical space where you get to be yourself, a version of yourself, different parts of yourself, while you're also creating a character. Yeah. And the way people, the way people accept rappers is sort of different than, and it, it, hip hop is such a youthful genre compared to other literary genres. The way people interpret it is still up in the air in a lot of ways. 
Oh, yeah. So I was always intrigued by the idea of how, like, approaching it as a rapper would change the way people saw it. And I have always been kind of interested in the the struggle between the avant-garde and the mainstream in all forms of art. And so rap has one of the most interesting tensions between the underground and the commercial. Yeah. And so there's just a whole bunch of aspects of the genre that made me want to get into it. And I was fortunate enough to have friends that liked to make beats and had turntables and stuff like that. And I like to go to raves and take drugs. And it all made sense uh, to do hip hop. But I guess it's just hard for me to imagine, like, like what were you doing over the these like electronic? Were you like? Well, over have you ever heard like beats? drum and bass? Yeah, like jungle beats. You can rap over jungle beats. It was not uncommon, you know, in like two thousand or two thousand one, right. see people flowing over some jungle. Yeah, and did you have rap wise? Were you, were there some similarities? I mean, you know, you I wasn't now? very good at height. I was only like nineteen years old. Cool. I wasn't. Cool. Cool. I wasn't super tight. It took Respect. me. It took me a while to get uh, really good. But I did used to be really good at freestyling because I used to practice it all the time. Yeah, like I used to just like freestyle rap and so I was good and that's how I got into rap battling which was kind of like another phase in my career that got me some notoriety and gets me a lot of respect in certain like corners of like the Detroit rap underground which is this like it's kind of a weird hierarchy that sometimes I'm really actively trying to like erode or make fun of like with the yeah. the shit that I do but I still love it because I was young and around it and I saw these a lot of electronic performances by these guys and I was in the battle rap scene at the time and I get a lot of respect for battle rap stuff that I did, you know, 10 years ago. And that all that came out of like the freestyle impulse because yeah. it all used to be like freestyling over the beat, making fun of the guys, yeah. talking about how the guys are, are lame. <laughs> when I first saw your grind time battles, like... I feel like I've I've watched like every grind time and like smack battle. Are you? Or, do you still keep up with that stuff? Yeah. Oh not, man, we got to get nerdy yeah. about battle rap. Then we could we could turn this into a battle rap podcast right now. Well, like I listen, but if you listen to battle rap, you get the vanguard of wordplay. Like when even when Mister was saying, "Do you listen to Yawning Man?" and then you were like, "Oh, it's Yanni. Let's listen to Yanni Man." I was like, "Yeah, that's bars. Like, hype must listen to battle rap because that's the type of shit that battle rap heads are into." Yeah, and I feel like uh, battle rappers, the way they always incorporate like cultural elements, it's almost like they're they create a genre that's kind of like like Hermann Hesse's The Glass Bead Game, where you're taking. Every single facet of like creativity and culture and weaving it into this weird linguistic tableau. Yeah. And it's always like coming toward the pun, the double entendre, which is the linguistic overlap. With you know, language is a largely subconscious enterprise. And when you get that linguistic overlap, like you're discovering truth. That's why <clears throat> if you check out like a battle rap reaction video and you listen to people going crazy over a double entendre for ninety seconds. It's really hard to get that level of enthusiastic crowd reaction. Yeah. And, and yeah. that's the power of bars. The bars are really powerful. And that's why, even though battle rap, I've had to get away from battle rap because it's too much. Like, the pressure of, like, trying to write for a battle is really unpleasant. And I think it just creates, like, an overall bad mind state. That's yeah. why I don't like... 
I mean, I I probably will at some point come back and do a battle, but it'll be a really nerve-wracking, like unpleasant month of my life. Oh yeah. For it and preparing for it instead of like a pleasurable, great walk through the park, hanging out with Blizzard, like, getting passionate, writing past the jug, like having fun with my friends. I'll be thinking about some person that I don't like, trying to compose double entendres. <laughs> right. Right. I I feel like when I first saw you on there, it was like. Kind of like something I've been waiting for. I mean, for me, it it just made sense because I've always, like, had this reputation as a fierce battle rapper. Right. And then when the written era came along, I knew I could come out and still, like, say some funky shit. It's also a great, like, if you have that outlet to write stuff about how cool you are, like, it's such a, a trope in rap. And it's sort of, if you're doing it, like, on your songs or whatever, I feel like it's kind of... It can be done well, but it's not for me. But yeah. it's a good place to put that. Like, sometimes you'll write a bar that's just so great. It's like you have to say it. It's like the rhyme or the the pun is so cool, you got to yeah. get it out there. And so Battle Rap, I guess, at that time gave me an outlet <coughs> to say stuff. Yeah. You know, that I wouldn't want to say or wouldn't be as interesting to me to say as did, part of my artistic thing. Did you ever feel, like, just, like, socially at odds with like like I feel like the whole thing in a way is kind of this like monoculture or something like the the aesthetics of like hip hop are so like heavy there more than I feel like any other it is but like, you can see like it also is a great place to expose like the cracks of that mm, mentality yeah. and you see certain battle rappers do succeed like Carter Deems I don't know if you watch his battles but he's uh, yeah. sort of in the same vein as what I was doing but like taking it to a way more exquisite extreme of the absurdism of bars or now people enough battle rap has gone on that people are starting to see like like the there are ironic aspects of it that they're starting to exploit um but really it's just a great way for people with like like if you have an interesting personality and then you're truthful to yourself like in a battle rap arena like, it's just interesting to see people, like, talk about themselves and other people that way. And yeah. I feel like hip-hop, some of the cool parts of hip-hop, like, when I was watching your show last night, like, you're just, like, kind of like a, just an interesting guy, like, talking about, like, interesting stuff. And I feel like the technology of music has made the point where making hip-hop is accessible to people, like, who can get computers and stuff. And more people should do it the kind of way that we do. Because it's just so. it's interesting. It's an interesting art form that can enrich your life and it's just not that difficult to do. I mean, ultimately, like when you're saying you had to like chill on it for a while, was that like the song, the like songwriting or music making mentality in the battle? You didn't want to have them like both in your head at, at once? Uh, it was more like the doing the battles and stuff like that was just like, well, I got into the grind time stuff because I thought I could get more publicity for my songs and stuff. And then when I had done like four battles for them or whatever, one of them never came out and the other three were only like 10,000 views, 15,000 views. And I could kind of see that what I was trying to do in there was like maybe too obscure to get the kind of views that I wanted or to 
make what I wanted to happen out of it do it. So I just stopped doing it. And also, yeah. it was just like bad for my mind state. Mm. I was just like living. Have you ever been to the Bagley building? It seems no, like no. the kind of place where you would do a show or something. Oh. <laughs> It's just this really dingy place. Uh, Scrummage <laughs> lived there for a while. We lived there at the same time, but like before we hung out. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was just drinking and stuff. And I think being in the battle scene was like contributing to this overall like toxic mind state. Because uh-huh. it really is yeah. like, it's nerve wracking. And you're thinking about people being up there like saying like really mean stuff about you too. Right, right, you right. Know? Totally. I also wonder, do like, even like, like loaded Lux or all those guys. Like, how successful is it to actually get people ever to listen to the music? Oh yeah, you know, for sure. Even if you're like the shit, you know what I mean. Even the biggest battle rapper, nobody really cares about their musical endeavors. Yeah, but yeah. in a way, like battle rap, to me, a battle rap. Like we have a friend named Mike Phelps who prepares maybe yeah. 10 battle raps a year. Right, right. And that effort like to make and write all those event-specific performances to me, in a way, eclipses even something like, like, I'll go out and do the same show. Like, I might write a new, different show like every year to perform. But there's time when you'll see me and I'll go out and I'll do the same shit over and over right, and right. over again. Whereas a battle rapper has to write for that one period of time. Yeah. So in a way, like a loaded Lux battle that he writes that winds up getting 5 million views is a much greater cultural artifact than even a song, a well-known yeah. song that gets a million views on yeah. YouTube or something. Totally. Yeah. It's like, it's just something just wild about you're constantly, the rappers are constantly writing something that they're going to say for the first and it's never as intense like for those guys that are really great transformative battle rappers like they're never able to capture that same intensity on records right as they do in battles because it's not as intense a a medium it's like the resolution of a battle is higher than music yeah with golf you drive like like i feel like you're like literary kind of steez is like already on display there would you would you say on golf you drive yeah i guess when i did golf you drive i was a lot more into trying to write in a fictive style yeah i mean or more novelistic style uh or to be more like a a linear storyteller or something whereas now i I try to be more kind of like simultaneous uh i have Instead of trying to tell like specific stories now, I just sort of try to tell my story, which is like fragmentary, simultaneous, biographical, absurdism, more or less. Yeah, yeah. Which is not to say I'll never go back to doing uh, golf you drive style. I mean, there's always kind of a dialectic where I'll write one way for a while and get tired of it and bored and then have to refresh. Right, right. Say, starting with that out, did you f- find some people that really related to what you were doing? Oh, yeah. I would say there's still, like, Golf You Drive is still definitely the most revered article in my catalog for a yeah. lot of people. And especially people, like, who I know, like, from being in high school or who, like, live in Oakland County. There's just, like, pockets of Golf You Drive appreciators yeah. uh, that come out of the woodwork every once in a while yeah and uh it's always interesting to see people who took that to heart because i think i wrote it more for as like a populist enterprise like uh, 
the relationship between Detroit and its suburbs was like explicated in the film Eight Mile Road, but I mm. wanted to to have a certain like take on that. It was around like it was like two years after. Yeah. But for people that were from the suburbs, like that also wanted to participate in hip hop, it was like I guess my way of just sort of saying that you can be authentically from the suburbs and still yeah. make a rap album. Yeah. And that was okay. I mean, it was... I didn't want to try. Even though I had lived in Detroit for many years, I wasn't going to front. Like, it was something that I really knew a lot about. So yeah. I, I tried to take a more authentic approach, which I think is the only way... If you're going to be, like, uh, you know, a white guy rapping or any guy rapping, you either have to make, like, a really interesting character for yourself or be really authentic. Yeah, yeah, totally. And, and like, did, did you, like play outside of detroit much like early on i don't i've never played a show outside of detroit really that's cool. <laughs> i don't know if that's technically true but i haven't really done i've never gone on tour yeah. i've never done any real stuff outside of detroit have you like thought about it before or, uh not really honestly yeah um i had when golf you drive came out i had the resources to do that kind of stuff but it's yeah. never really been like like, I'm really just sort of, like, a low-key guy who enjoys, like, having his comforts. Yeah. And uh, I get so much reward from my art in so many ways. And just taking it out to do the same thing over and over again for people has never, like, seemed particularly appealing to mm. me. And I know, like, you've been on the road, like, for a, to an ex extreme length across yeah. the country. And tons of my friends have had the same experience. And I feel like I need to do it. At some point, just to maybe see what it's like. But right, it's hard right. for me to go away from, like, all my books and my weed and trying to make money and, yeah, yeah. you know, be a part of the stuff we have here. Especially when you live in Detroit, like, the, the experience of being an artist and performer here can be, like, really fulfilling. Oh, you yeah. You can sort of be, like like famous or notorious in Detroit or whatever and not be known outside of it at all. And it's sort of exhilarating because the the people who do stuff here are like the best people. Mm. Ten thirty two, still no text from Eddie. <laughs> we got ten. Yeah, he's got ten minutes. ten minutes. He does. He has. He still has keys to my house, so he could just come mm. through the door. You you got keys to this bitch. I don't know if I do. Assuming he doesn't quickly arrive. Um, how how did you guys start to like? work as a duo you know it's interesting through the we were putting together a show the other day and we needed an old beat and uh through the magic of gmail i was able to discover the first time he sent me a beat was in 2009 oh, it's crazy when you can go back and trace like these relationships like creative relationships like through specific dates and communications now yeah. it's nice having that that record i mean i could reach to my shelves and find like the correspondence of ralph waldo emerson but uh, it's not as dynamic as when you're navigating those that virtual terrain. Okay, cool. cool. What's the what was the email like? Did he say anything? I mean, you know, the maestro is not like uh, his his email style isn't particularly florid. He was just like, here's that beat, here's that banger, something like that. But uh, I had gone through after I made Golf You Drive. I went through a really bad prolonged period of alcoholism and then when I got through all that around like 2009 I started to 
do some battle raps as a means of making money because yeah. I was unemployed at the time. <laughs> and it was a way for me to make $100 every week was by going to this bar. And I won it like nine times in a row or something ridiculous. Yeah. And they had weekly performances. And I saw a Midcoast Most show. And I had known Eddie. And they were aware of like Golf You Drive and stuff like that. And Jay Walker, my homie. Yeah. And, uh... You know, he just sent me some beats, and I was working on how to shoot quail, and I started to record over at his house, and uh, I mean, the maestro is able to, anytime you get to write, like, part of the pleasure of being a hip-hop artist is, like, writing to beats, and I feel like, like, part of an MC's personality isn't just the way they write, but, like, the beats they pick, and in a way, it's kind of like, it's how, like, an artist picks their color, or, like, picking a theme, uh... And he's always been able to make stuff that just tickles my brain and is able to take me to places uh, that I find worth exploring. Um, And so he did a few beats for that. And then he's always been like a real well-organized guy, too, when it comes to having like structure to releases and things like that. And I am not excellent in that regard. So he's helped me to put out a lot of shit. And I think we've helped each other. Like he helps me like color inside the lines sometimes when I want to go outside. Yeah. And I think I've helped him to explore other areas and see other aspects of this artistic shit we do that goes beyond genre. That just makes like, like our lives just like, artistic activities in the in and of themselves which is the most truthful unmediated form of expression there is well like what do you mean by that like with the two of you exactly i mean i think like i think rappers in general are just sort of like ahead of the curve when it comes to like like we think of like art as being certain activities like writing or performing but the fact is like our whole business here is art like we're engaged in artistic activity nonstop. Yeah. And you have to realize that that's like what your life is, is an artistic medium in some way. And, uh, you know, when you become a rapper and you take on a character, then you're already like dipping your toe in the water. Of right. It's like right. the fact that we're like basically forced performers on this weird stage. Yeah. And if you accept that predicament then you just have to like own that shit and be good at it and so i think like what we've built like colonas is just like a way for people to see themselves in this way and find roles in which they can help create like a greater infrastructure Mm. and when you go to like stuff last night like eddie's party like the visuals are on point there's somebody like fill in the room with weird sculptural stuff. Like, everybody's got this, like, creative niche that creates this entire, like, like one-time event. Yeah. That imp- imprints itself onto memory forever. And, uh, you know, that's what I guess we've been able to do together is create, like, real culture. Yeah. Do you ever feel, like, because to, to think about that for myself, I would I would not like to feel like my whole existence was like art or something. I mean, like, it's not your fault. I mean, it's not even your choice. It, it just is. For every person in the world? I feel that way. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's more, it's yeah, more yeah. than that, for sure. 
but it's also that. Right. But do you feel, you don't feel like ever like that's a bummer? Oh yeah. It's a huge bummer. It's everything. I mean, it's not, yeah. uh, it's not positively or negatively charged. It's yeah. just the predicament and you have to, it's, it's a choice whether you want to try to make it positive. Yeah. Because yeah. even like, if you think about the elements of like good art or not, it's not always positive. Like it's often like the sadness or the, the difficult, like in the plastic art that we create that makes it enriching. Yeah. Well, this new album, would you say there was a theme to that album? Oh, for sure. I mean, it's, uh, it's baseball. It's nostalgia. It's, uh, I mean, for me, baseball was like the very first thing that I was ever really deeply addicted to. Mm. And I remember when Mike Scott threw that no hit game to win the pennant for the Astros. It was one of the first conscious gestures I remember is cutting the newspaper out, cutting the article out of the newspaper and hanging it on my bedroom wall. And I remember like the way like the yellow newspaper looked against like the green carpet in my room and uh i just remember opening the newspaper every day to like look at the baseball scores and like getting so much of my own literary like semblance through reading about baseball and shit like that yeah and if you think about the term inside baseball always means like if you're talking about something that you need to have inside information about yeah and i feel like if you listen to a Doc Waffles album, you need to have like this like wild specific field of reference, uh, and so I feel like my whole catalog is becoming increasingly like inside baseball, where you need to know my shit and all my other shit to really like get a lot of what I'm talking about. What, like, what's an example of that? Just like my conscious self referentiality. Um, if you listen to like the first song on. This week in baseball, it's just like flipping lyrics from ambulance chasers yeah. in novel ways. And uh, I have tons of references to Golf You Drive and stuff like that. Yeah. I also just make a lot of references to our crew and the people we do. And much like the Wu-Tang Clan, like, I feel like part of the joy of it is like taking the specific nomenclature and then learning to understand it through repetition. Yeah. Like, like it seems obscure at first and you don't get it. And then after a while, like there's still Wu-Tang lyrics that illuminate themselves to me. Like, have you ever had that experience where you like get a ghost face lyric that you've heard like 60 times and then all of a sudden like, oh, that's what he was talking about. You know what's crazy? You know how he has that one song? Uh, he's like, uh. Uh, I gotta fuck something. If not, I'ma fuck my girl. Fuck the fight, baby. Let's peel. Yeah. I have a theory that that song is actually about the night Tupac Shakur got shot. Okay. Because it seems like it's always just a weird little narrative about him, like, watching a Mike Tyson fight, like, wanting to get some pwn and then leaving. Yeah. But Pac was shot after a Mike Tyson fight. And I think that's what... That's like the secret, like punchline of the song, is that it was that night. It could be, and that's like there's like uh, like within my own writing, there's like always stuff like that. Yeah, there's always like 
something behind a bar, why it's there. And a lot of the times, like, it might only be known to me or it might only be known to, like, me and Eddie or whoever was there to, like, experience that particular moment. But then when I write new songs, I'll go back to my old ones and sometimes just focus on a single lyric or bar and there's a whole other song that's contained in something like that. It's just, like, a way to make your catalog endlessly... What's the name of the, what's the snake? The name of the snake that eats its tail? Lazard. Uh, Ouroboros? Oh, yeah, Ouroboros. Thank you. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I kind of feel like I can only listen to rap that's like that, in a way. Like, yeah, it has to be more ambient. That's yeah. why, like, uh, like, I get really uh, turned off when I hear really didactic hip-hop. I feel like that's why, like, Chief Keef and Future are the two, like, greatest, most popular rappers now. It's because they're almost indecipherable at times. Yeah. And yeah. they make their rap more, like, ambient so you can have it. And it's not, like, they're not offending you, like, with a message. Like a, con- yeah, like a constant, like, I'm like a gymnast the way I flip. Like, like everything. That's why you don't see, like, we live in this intensely politically charged time when there's more, like, civil disharmony than there has been in the recent past. Where are my political rappers? Tumbleweeds. Hmm. I guess it's they're not, out there, but they're not. They're, they're out big. there, but they're not yeah. at the at the forefront. Yeah. I and mean, there are like great. You can make great socially aware rap songs, uh, but it's not what people are generally looking for. Right. It seems right. like for whatever reason, and I think it's because there's a trend towards ambience. Yeah. I always. I, I don't know. I feel like. To me, it's partially something about, like, I feel like rap, when rap, like, first came to most people, it was, like, mysterious. Because it's like, what is this stuff? And it's yeah, like, or exotic or something. Yeah, so it's like, I don't know, I like to feel like, like, I like when I hear a line and I don't know exactly what the guy means, and I can just imagine what... Well, there's times, like, like in the battle rap shit, there were times, like, when I got ahead through, like, the novelty of being, like, kind of, like, a weird or offbeat person. Uh-huh. And uh, it always made me feel kind of nauseous, and I've never wanted to try to, like, exploit that dimension. Uh, and so it's cool to approach the shit, like, like when you want to incorporate elements of, like, theatricality into your performance... But you have to make sure that it's weird enough that no one could ever accuse you of, like, trying to get, like, a novel or easy laugh. Right, right. And, like, a good way to do that is just through, I guess, obscurism. And the only way you can validate that is through, like, really forceful repetition. Yeah. Like, you can make obscurism meaningful by belief. And if you can excite other people with it, then you can give it clarity and then what was once obscure is revealed to be actually like this sort of difficult apprehendable thing yeah yeah and you know i mean i think blizzard you would agree with me the truth itself is is a very elusive phenomenon i can see it like do you feel like this i guess this is kind of a tangent but do you feel like the there's battle dudes that have carried on, like, the obscure style and, like, absurd style. 
Uh, wouldn't you agree? I think it's a whole trend towards obscurity. Like, do you watch Don't Flop? Yeah. I think the British, a lot of British battle rappers, like there's Ogmios, who's kind of an obscure rapper, uh, Marlo and Shuffle T. Oh, yeah. There's the whole trend towards doing, like, bad bars and compliment battles and stuff like oh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's great. It's a great way of, like, like, all art forms have this, like, teleology. Like, if you look at painting, it goes through these, like, movements. Yeah. And you can kind of trace it. And then when you look at battle rap, like, it does the same thing. Yeah. Like, it has the same trajectory, but it's still in process. Yeah. So you can sort of, like, see and predict. And Daylight, of course, is the... Oh, of course. He's, like, the through-the-looking-glass battle rapper who saw that not rapping... He's, like, the John Cage, like, the anti-rap. Yeah. The performance artist. Uh, I think his practice is so interesting and cool. Uh... I'm really excited to see like how um, other battle rappers like continue to adopt like theatrical elements, antics, and things like that into it. Because I think eventually it'll be an activity where people don't rap. I think the battle will just be a means of people sort of like making fun of subverting each other, where rap is just one element, and it's more like a it's like an art battle through like interdisciplinary. Means. Right, right, right. It's already starting to go in that direction. Yeah. But then there will always be purists who will who will just want to hear bars. Yeah. There's bars over everything. I have a hard time. But life life is just bars. bars. <laughs> life is just a series it's of bars. Just bars. <laughs> I feel like the the like supply of bar like bars are just so easy to come by. Not not like <laughs> awesome bars, but like it's, There's an infinite number of bars. But yeah. think about, like, the sun. <laughs> think about, like, the overabundance of energy that comes out of the sun. Right. It thinks about it. facilitates all growth on this planet. Yeah. There's so much of it. It's just more than we could ever use. And but it's bars. Good. That's how bars is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that might be a good spot to leave off. All right. That is tight. My mom just texted me. Well, thanks again, man. Oh yeah, it was really cool. Great show again last night. Oh, thanks. Are you man. going? Uh, are you still going on tour for a while? Yeah, yeah. All right, far out. So can I plug my shit? Yes. Play it again, sports. The number one retailer for used sports in the Metro Detroit area. Ooh. Visit playitagainsports.com to acquire used power built irons. Let's go. Do you like fantasy football? Try DraftKings. You know why I like DraftKings? Because uh, with the rise of Xanax addiction, more and more people are losing their life to painkillers, and we need positive forms of addiction, mm. such as fantasy football, to help distract people. Shouts out to co-owners. All right, thanks again to Doc Waffles. See you next week.